Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ask the Professor, a crowd-supported, crowd-driven feature where we respond to your questions on everything from economics to history, political philosophy, culture, foreign policy, all the things that matter to us in our life together as citizens. And today's question comes from Janine, and she's responding to a column I had in the National Post about exactly how much debt governments have piled onto the finances of the average Canadian taxpaying family. And she says, with this massive government debt hanging over us, and with all the, the state spends, both on bureaucracy and on programs, how on earth could they ever start paying it back? And what happens if we don't? Could we really wind up in a scenario like that of Greece or even Venezuela? I think it's a very pertinent question. And the short answer is governments cannot possibly begin paying back this debt unless, I'm going to say something very trite here, but I'll try and add some depth to it as I go along, unless they start taking more in in taxes and other revenues than they spend on programs and on operations. It really is that simple. They must start running surpluses. If they start running surpluses, they can start trimming the debt. But as you may know from your own personal finances, when you look at how little you're paying on the debt and how big the debt is, it gets quite discouraging. You think, well, I'm going to be out of debt in 17 years. That's a bit bleak. For governments, it's bleaker still. Well, it probably is for individuals as well because Canadians are apparently quite badly indebted. If interest rates rise and there's a risk that they will, you can get into a situation where even though you have a sizable operating surplus, as Brian Mulroney's government did toward the end, all you're really managing to do is cover the interest costs. So you're taking more from citizens than you're giving back to them, so they're annoyed, but you're not making a dent in the debt, so they're not happy that the debt's going down, and there's no way you can stop taking more in revenue than you're giving back in goods and services. So here's what this tells us. First of all, if you're going to do this as governments, be bold. Don't come up with a 40-year plan to repay the debt. Come up with a 10-year plan to repay the debt. I would say shorter, but good heavens, when you've got a federal debt of $600 billion, you're going to pay it off in 10 years. You've got to come up with $60 billion in principle a year, given that the federal government is spending around $300 billion or so they tell us. You know, you're talking about putting one-fifth of all spending to debt repayment. It is not realistic to think you could do more. It may well not be realistic to think you can do that. Therefore, the second point is, as long as we continue to assume that governments must do all the things that they're now doing, that we really cannot be entrusted to manage our own affairs in critical areas from education to health, it is going to be impossible to reduce the size of government. A statistic which has by now become hauntingly familiar, healthcare spending takes up about 40%, or in some cases higher, 45%, somewhere in the low to mid 40s, of all the program spending of all the provincial governments in Canada. That's nearly half of what they spend outside of interest goes on healthcare alone. Unless you're prepared dramatically to revamp the system, you cannot change that number. And if you cannot change that number, then you start throwing in things like education, which also take maybe 20% of program spending if you count post-secondary and uh, kindergarten to grade 12. You see that in a, in a very real way, the problem is insoluble, provided you maintain the assumptions that got us into this mess in the first place. We have to start believing that citizens can actually do things for themselves 
better than the state can do them for them. I've said this often about healthcare, but I'll say it one more time. If we didn't have socialized medicine in a country as incredibly wealthy as Canada, do you really think we would not, through private charity, make sure that nobody was denied care because of financial resources? I mean, all the money that we're putting into it through the public system, unless you believe government is efficient, and I know there are people who believe that, I hope you're not one of them. Unless you believe government is efficient, you are driven to conclude that if we got the money back and then ourselves put it into various mechanisms from insurance to charity, including charities that buy insurance, we would surely produce more health care at a lower cost, a more patient-driven system, less bureaucratic and less wasteful. When it comes to education, I'm a great fan of the voucher system. You can call it something else if the teachers union is bristle at the word vouchers, but essentially instead of students following the money where the government puts it, which is what we do today, you have a system which the government ensures that every family has enough resources to educate their child, but the money is given to the parents, not in the form of cash, but in the form of a voucher that they can spend at any accredited educational institution. And that way, the money follows the student where the parents put them. And you, this doesn't mean you can't have standards, but it means that the design and delivery of the education system is in the hands of parents and of teachers. I'm not cutting the teachers out here, quite the reverse. It's not in the hands of bureaucrats and unions. But if we don't do any of this, can we get to a Venezuelan scenario? Well, flatly, no, because Canadian political culture is not that of Latin America. I mean, all men are created equal and all women, I certainly believe that, but it is a fact that places that were originally settled by Imperial Spain tend to have a much more rigid, bureaucratic, government-heavy, distrustful political climate in which extra-legal violence is far more freely resorted to and orderly political processes bounded by a strong sense of decency are less reliable. And that is a tragedy for the inhabitants. No, it couldn't happen here. But could the Greece scenario happen? Very definitely it could. You could get into a situation where governments one day wake up and find they cannot borrow any more money. And if they are singularly obtuse about it, if they refuse to recognize that the cause of their problem is spending more than they're taking in, and if they refuse to recognize that if the spending were all doing the great things it's doing, then society and the economy would be flourishing to the point that revenue would surge and there wouldn't be a deficit. If they will not accept that government spending is inefficient, then yes, you can carry them for cri from crisis to crisis with austerity measures that don't work, an economy that refuses to reinvigorate, and recurring fiscal crises. More likely what we get is the New Zealand scenario, where in the 1980s they found they couldn't borrow any more money, and so they dramatically tackled how government delivers things separating purchasers from providers, bringing in competition. And there's some great stories, by the way, public sector unions saying, oh, no, this is terrible. It's going to be the end of the world. And being told, well, then the world ends. What are you going to do about it? And saying, we're going to bid. We're going to bid on this service. And because they had the experience, they often won and gave a much better level of service at a much lower cost with much higher employee satisfaction. This is not a scorched earth strategy. But in a real way, we are masters of our fate. If we choose to, we can continue to spend until we hit the wall. And when we hit the wall, we can either bounce off it like Greece or we can go through it like New Zealand. It all depends on our willingness to rethink what government does and how it does it. To understand that competition is a good thing. To understand that citizens are competent. Should we do that, should we get back to our historic roots, we can have again a country where government can be small because citizens can be large. And if we don't do it, 
the bailiff is going to come knocking at the door of governments and then very probably at ours as well. If you're enjoying Ask the Professor, remember, all the questions are ones that are submitted by viewers. So here's the URL that will take you to the spot on my website where you can submit one. And it's also dependent upon crowdfunding. So if you value the feature, click here. If you aren't already one, become a monthly sponsor of my work through Patreon or otherwise. And that will enable me to keep bringing you Ask the Professor, my other writings, my other videos, all the things that I do to try to bring common sense into public affairs. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.